Namaste, my friends. Welcome back. Or if you're new here, welcome to the podcast. The Harmony Inspired Health Podcast brings you raw and real conversations from leaders in the industry about all things health, wellness, Ayurveda, and life. My name is Harmony, and I am your podcast host. I am an Ayurveda and integrative health practitioner who specializes in women's hormonal health, a registered nurse, and a business mentor. I'm on a mission to inspire, educate, and empower women to take charge of their health, wealth, and life. Don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. And if you listen on iTunes, please give us a five-star rating so the wisdom shared in these episodes can be spread far and near. Thank you so much from my soul to yours. Before we hop into this awesome episode, I want to remind you that this episode is sponsored by my accredited program, Ayurveda Alchemist, which will certify you as an Ayurveda lifestyle and wellness coach. Ayurveda Alchemist is for women who are ready to get started with a fulfilling career in Ayurveda or for already established health, wellness, and life coaches who want to create greater impact by offering a holistic framework that gets their clients exceptional and holistic results. This certification is what you need to step into the high-level practitioner that you were born to be and stand out from the coaching crowd. You will experience undeniable growth as a premium health and wellness coach. You will be mentored by highly qualified facilitators, guest experts, and practitioners. Spots are strictly limited. So if you are ready to up-level your life and help transform others' lives by becoming an Ayurveda alchemist, then head over to harmonyinspiredhealth.com.au and apply today. Now, let's get into today's episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast and welcome to all of our amazing, amazing women in the Ayurveda and Women's Health Sisterhood Facebook group if you're watching this live. Um, And if you're not part of that, you are so welcome to join us. You can find us on Facebook. Today, I'm really happy to have um, beautiful Sarah Malini with us and she has been on the podcast before and we just absolutely hit it off and we're like, (laughs) after we did the podcast and before we were talking, we're like, oh my God, that's another podcast. Oh my God, that's another podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So we actually wanted to come together because we share a very similar view with Ayurveda and we're going to actually be talking about, is it wrong to modernize Ayurveda? And we thought that this would be a really interesting topic um, to to bring up because there is different schools of Ayurveda. There's different thoughts about that. There's obviously a lot of um, practitioners who are very, very traditional and that's amazing and wonderful. And a lot of them have learned through the lineages. And then there are practitioners who aren't as traditional and who have really used Ayurveda to assist um, in the modern world and have modernized it to some degree. And whether that is right or wrong, well, we're going to get into that but before we do I want to reintroduce you all to the wonderful Sarah Malini so thank you so much for joining us Sarah has um, been a lifetime student and an accomplished teacher of yoga and Ayurveda. Her studies and experiences in the realms of yoga, mantra and Ayurveda 
has allowed her to be a dynamic teacher and facilitator of the modern age which is, you know, why we want to speak about this topic <laughs> as well. And Sarah's very passionate about providing you with the foundational teachings. So that's going back to like those ancient teachings and the wisdom so that you can walk away feeling like you know how to make decisions, how to apply yoga and Ayurveda to your specific life in a way that is truly supportive, nourishing and effective. And I'm just going to add in there in the modern times because that's what we're Yay. talking about. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, welcome back. Thanks. I'm so happy to be here. And, yeah, thank you so much for making time because the last time we spoke, um, obviously you were still pregnant, but now you mm-hmm. are you are ready to pop. I know. I'm still pregnant. <laughs> still <laughs> it's pregnant. almost over. <laughs> yeah, but you're due at the end of this month, which is super exciting. Yeah. Next time we talk, you'll have, like, a little baby. I know. Home. I'll be able to touch my toes and see my toes. Yay. <laughs> that's always that's always fun after like the nine months. Yeah. I know. So has your superpower changed? Because we always start these um podcast episodes with the rapid inspiration questions. And as you know from last time, it's can you inspire us with your superpower? So has that changed over your pregnancy? Oh man, I wish I could say that I've inquired acquired more patience. Mm -hmm. Uh, that would I would love that for that to be my superpower maybe that will become my superpower once the babies (laughs) I think they test my patience (laughs) yeah I don't know if it's changed I think um I think my superpower right now I would describe it as like uh I'm learning which maybe isn't a superpower really I'm learning I'm humble. I'm like consistently being actively humbled by this experience of pregnancy. Um, And so I'm like letting go or first facing attachments that I didn't even know I had to myself and my life. And, um, you know, I think like identities that I took for granted and, and didn't really assess as actual identities that I was attaching to until this process like keeps changing them or moving them or removing them or pausing them. It's such a big transformational period in your lifetime. And even from like an Ayurvedic perspective, you know, with the doshas, it completely changes the doshas as well. Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. So what have you been up to since the last time we spoke? You're still um, working in practice and. Yeah, still seeing clients, um, teaching a little bit of yoga. I was supposed to go to New Mexico in the U.S. to assist again with the physicians program that's happening that I had done in May Mm -hmm. um, because they're they had a second Panchakarma um, intensive. But the drive from where I live in California was starting to feel a little bit overwhelming. I would have been driving at like 33 to 35 weeks. Like I would have been gone for that time. Yeah. And um, so that's what I mean about humbling is that I actually, you know, that was like the first time I ever made a decision that like wasn't really what I wanted to be doing. Like I wanted to go. Yes. And I made a decision that was like, it would be better for the family if I didn't go. And that was that was actually a really hard decision to make, even though it was an, it kind of seemed like to everybody else, it was a really obvious decision. Mm. Um, 
Yeah. So that's basically, so I've been seeing clients mostly online and then locally here in California. And then, um, but I didn't do that, which I had anticipated doing. Yeah. Awesome. Well, last time we had you on, we briefly touched on Ayurveda losing its potency in today's modern world, or I get not specifically losing its potencies, but the thought that it could be losing its potencies in today's mm-hmm. modern world. So in your view, how is Ayurveda just as profound in today's times as it were over 5,000 years ago? I think it's equally potent. And this is one of the reasons I teach the foundation, because I think that if Hunter talks about this a lot, like I was just listening to a lecture of his today, talking about um, like hridrog, like heart diseases, but not like cardiac diseases, diseases of like the heart area um, from an Ayurvedic perspective. And, you know, each time we would like, he goes over a type of disease condition from the Samhitas, like from the classical Ayurvedic texts, Ayurvedic texts, you know, he's like, what is the theme of this study? Like, what are we trying to understand here like we're not just like trying to fix all heart problems or chest problems like what is the through line that these texts are trying to teach us that we can then apply to like any condition that that potentially could come up because you know like I'm sure it was the same 5,000 years ago like nobody is a text who's having textbook problems you know it's really rare to be like oh my god you're the one I read about you know um and so I think maintains its potency when we can understand the base request and teachings of the classical texts Mm -hmm. and then I think in that way it can be totally modernized like there are some really interesting medicines that Ayurveda uses that are new you know but because the people who are alchemizing them understand the gunas and the the tastes and the, you know, and the qualities of these medicines, they understand how they work together. And like, I, I am assuming, think because they work, like thinking about how they can be applied and, and um, contrasted to what the, the substances that had been previously available that maybe are no longer available, you know, Mm -hmm. 5,000 years ago, I think, I think modernizing Ayurveda and protecting protecting its potency is really just about understanding the intention of Ayurveda classically and then doing it in the modern world. Exactly. Yeah. Spot on with understanding the foundations because the foundational like rules or laws of Ayurveda, they they never change, right? They're always constant. And that's what we, you know, we weave that wisdom into modern like modern medicine or even like myself in my practice. So I use all the foundations of Ayurveda, but I still send people off for labs. So to get pathology done, stool testing done. And they, that wasn't around 5,000 years ago. So we're really, really lucky to be able to bring in this new emerging science and weave Ayurveda's philosophy into that because the, the root of what Ayurveda is will never change, but we as a species change and what we have available to us changes and just the technology in our modern world changes. And my um, sort of Ayurvedic teacher, when I was going through um, my practitioner course, I, we were taught that in the Vedas, the, 
the the back pages of the Vedas. So uh, for those who don't know, the Vedas are the ancient um, Ayurvedic texts, and the last pages were left blank, and that was because Ayurveda understands that you know, we are going to evolve as humans, as human species, our world is going to evolve, there's going to be new science, there's going to be new practitioners come through. And although the root of what Ayurveda is will never change those words in that text, those two blank pages were to show you that there's still more. Ayurveda is the study and science of life and longevity. It is the study, we haven't finished studying that. So I guess, how do you see these blank pages? Like, why do you think um, from your perspective, they have been left blank? I think, um, I think because it's sort of similar to what was, yeah. So basically I feel like um, Ayurveda is a, is a science of longevity and, and it's like teaching us how to think mm-hmm. and perceive and then make decisions from the perception of ideally reality as it actually is. And I think the more we are able to hone in on what we're physically experiencing, emotionally experiencing, environmentally experiencing, which will always change, you know, I mean, even the texts themselves changed because they were written in different yugas, like a different, mm-hmm. um, times of the of development you know different ages and so they're going to be speaking to people differently like the charak samhita is writing to people at a time where wisdom was really commonplace and people were really sattvic and the ashtanga hridayam was written later and it's simplified because the minds of the people who were receiving it were not in the same space as they were in when the chark was written and there are texts that were written after that when like medicines that were available in the charak are no longer available and now they're starting to use you know like doing alchemy with like poisonous substances and be make transforming them into medicines and so i feel like so much room for innovation in ayurveda and i think that is why there's this like blank page there's there's an unpredictable future in that you know the times will always be changing human beings will always be affected by the environments that are they're living in that, that are always changing and we can't practice ayurveda we can't force modern people to live classic lives because then ayurveda will not work but at the same time like we can't make ayurveda as we are today and i feel like those pages you know, the blankness of the pages is the alchemy of that, the challenge of like how to maintain this classical through line while still acknowledging the tremendous change that has occurred since these things have been written or recorded, you know. Absolutely. And and we do have to adapt and understand our lifestyles and the quote unquote business that they involve these days, especially for, say, a woman who now in our modern times um, is working, is running a family, is studying, is doing all of the things. They don't have, you know, 
back in those Ayurvedic times where their dinataria, their whole routine was really extended and long. They had a lot of time to cook really fresh every meal, including grinding all the fresh spices because we know eating fresh is best. Like we just know that it's got more prana, it's got more vitality and more vitamins and minerals in the food. We 100% understand that. But in reality, in our modern world, sometimes we do have to eat the leftover food <laughs> because <laughs> we've cooked the lunch and then we might have some for dinner or the next day because you're busy at work you've got to take your lunch to work you've got to heat it up we do have refrigeration as well which they didn't have back then either so we have had to bend some of the quote unquote rules that have been sort of written or the guidelines I never like to use the word rules because there's no rules they're just really guidelines of best living mm -hmm for life and longevity. Um, but we've had to be okay with adapting that so that we are also looking after our mental health and not feeling that we're doing everything wrong because Ayurveda says we should do it this way, you know, 5,000 years ago before we were living these lifestyles and before we had, you know, the luxury of refrigeration and electricity and all of those type of things as well. So, yeah. Yeah, I guess for you as an Ayurvedic practitioner, what are some ways um, that you have adopted a more modernized approach to Ayurveda with your clients? I've definitely simplified. So when I'm, when I'm, after I do a case paper, like I'll do an intake with someone, I'll write like the ideal treatment plan. And then I will look at their actual lifestyle, their financial capability, because Ayurveda in the, at least in the United States, I'm sure it's similar in Australia, like in the in the modern space is really costly you know it's not you know a casual endeavor you it works really well and so it's totally worth it but it's you know it's like a commitment and so one of so you know i i i like weigh those things like how uh intense is the condition the person's experiencing you know if it's really really acute i will be a little bit more strict with my recommendations but if it's something that's going to have to take time to mature and to kind of heal and, you know, the person is super busy or has other limitations for whatever reason, um, it's like the things I say to them are like, it's more important that you do the recommendations than you do everything perfectly. So I usually try and let it be a conversation where I'll say, especially if they're new to me, you know, these are the ideals. What I really would like you to do is look over these recommendations and see what is doable and what is not doable, because we can always extend this over time and work on things in phases, because the most important thing that Ayurveda offers, I think, is the habit reformation that can happen. And if that doesn't happen, you know, like you're just fighting with herbs forever. I actually had a client who um, she had just moved from the north what pacific northwest to the southwest and then her house burned down and then she like and then i saw her right after they were living in a hotel her house had burned down and they had just had this transition and then she had seen me and then i didn't hear from her for like three months and i just heard from her again and she's like they all got sick for like a month and you know she just like she just hasn't really been able to do what she wanted to do yet and she was like and i can't afford to do this at this moment but what would you recommend in the meantime and i was like go over the recommendations like commit to the diet and lifestyle and that will change so much mm. and so and that's like the most important thing so even just editing the diet and lifestyle so that people can feel successful yeah 
Absolutely. And I think that's true about feeling successful because I know um, it, when I was a new practitioner, I was like, if you do all these things, it'll be amazing. And you want to help them with the whole lifestyle. But when it's overwhelming, like if they're already overwhelmed, so a lot of yeah. you know, I see they've got hormonal imbalances because of the stress and they're already overwhelmed. And then you give them an overwhelming, like whole new structure to their routine, morning and night and way of eating. They're going to be like, yeah, not doing it way too hard. And that's a misfortune because if you don't lead them in gently, you're missing the biggest transformation because like you said, you can take herbs and supplements and you can take medication and you can do that, you know, for years and years and years, but the real transformation happens with lifestyle and diet. And unfortunately that is the hardest thing to master because we are so time poor or because you haven't been guided in the right direction properly Mm -hmm. and being Mm -hmm. slowly fed that. And that's why it's so important to work with a practitioner over a period of time, not just a one-off consultation, because then you get the list of things you can do and then you don't have that accountability, that support. It can get very overwhelming and then you let it all go and you're back to square one and you're like, oh, that didn't work. Well, it didn't work because mm-hmm. you actually didn't do it. <laughs> so Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, Ayurveda is like, you know, I sometimes talk about it with uh, students like, challenge about modern life especially is I mean and is that we're very unsupported is you know because it's a very individualistic age we're in and it's like trying to correct like like build rebuild a ship while it's sailing you know it's like very hard to do that without (laughs) and so that's like what we're trying to do with our health like we still have to go to work. We still have to do all this. We still have to take care of our family. We still have to shower. We still have to sleep. Like all the things that we had to do there may or may not be working well, which is why we're coming to an Ayurvedic practitioner to begin with, are still happening. And now we have to learn this entire new language, you know, this entire new system, like change the basic habits that we've squeezed into our life because they, you know, make it like kind of function. But, you know, we're all just kind of treading water. And and at the beginning, when you pull out the thread, you know, and like really experience, because, you know, a lot of the stuff that we do, the way that we eat, the way that we sleep, the way that we live is like just, you know, trying to get by. And Ayurveda is like you were saying, like the science of longevity, which is definitely not the science of getting by. Yeah. You know, it's the science of thriving. And so it's really hard at the beginning, especially to like remove the things we've been leaning on that aren't really working, but by removing them, it feels like you're sinking. Yeah. But, and also though, like by removing those things that aren't working, you are creating more space for yourself to implement things that will support you. So mm-hmm. I feel like it, you know, if people are considering, you know, changing lifestyle habits and diet, Yes, at first, any change is difficult because you're adapting to a new way of being and a new way of living. But also remember, you're taking out a whole lot of crap that doesn't need to be there, which is creating a lot of space for this new way of of being and living. And I think it's, yeah, creating those swaps and then slowly implementing over time as opposed to feeling like you have to do it all at once. Exactly, exactly. And that's what we're here for, you know, like a, like a well-trained practitioner will know how to give you exactly what you need in that moment so that you feel like you're doing something and you see change, like enough change to be encouraging. 
but also not so much that you don't feel unsuccessful. And then, you know, it's like a slow drip. And then as things get easier, we can give more and more. And eventually, you know, you, the, the client learns how to think Ayurvedically and can start to, you know, see and perceive the changes they would need to make without us necessarily saying so. Mm, absolutely. And just shipping, shifting the convo a little bit to, I guess, have you heard of any misinterpretations of Ayurveda in the modern times that is actually causing harm? And if so, can you sort of elaborate on what those interpretations were? Is there anything that comes to mind for you? Oh, yeah, there's so many. Okay. <laughs> I think the one that like comes to my mind that I think is the most harmful, I was actually talking with a student who I'm who's studying with me now about it the other day, like this desire to identify ourselves with individual doshas, mm -hmm. I think is the absolute most harmful yes. functional practice there is because A, it no longer acknowledges anything that we've talked about, that life is fluctuation, that you are not made of a dosha, that dosha is that which changes, that dosha is that which causes dysfunction in the body. Like, And, you know, if we're looking at it from like a more esoteric perspective, the fact that we're identifying with a physical material like already removes us from the spiritual path, right? Because then it's just like, and it's not even a positive material necessarily, you know, it's the material that leads to disease conditions. There's no disease without dosha, you know? And yeah. so, um, and it's really hard to unteach because I think, especially in this modern age, we are so lost in our identity because we're fed so much um, external material of who we should be, what we should be, what we should like, what we should have that like, you know, people, I think tend to move into the Ayurvedic space, the way we might interact superficially with like a horoscope. And it's like, so I'm like a Vata type, like I'm a Libra, you know, like that yeah. kind of thing. And then it's really hard to let go of. Yeah. And it can create a lot of really negative behaviors and Ayurveda doesn't work when practiced that way. So just like you were saying before, like people will think, oh, Ayurveda doesn't work. And it's like, well, actually we haven't done Ayurveda yet. You're, we're just using language that is also used in Ayurveda. Absolutely. And that's exactly <laughs> what I teach to my students in the Ayurveda Alchemist program is to really learn the gunas, like the qualities and the elements. And if you can identify the elements, it takes away that identity of the personality, your mind, body type of the doshas. So it, because it can be really dangerous if you start treating the doshas and that person actually really isn't that dosha, but they just mm -hmm. want to identify with that. And mm -hmm. I've seen that so many times. So even like when you do the quizzes and yes, I have a dosha quiz on my website because it is, you know, fun to go through and see what dosha is more dominant for you at that point in time. And it explains, you know, your mind, body, personality type that we like to investigate those type of things. But in reality, that is just in that moment. And mm -hmm. if you have always been told you're more of a vata or a vata pitta type, but you come in to see a practitioner with a lot of congested, sticky phlegm in your lungs that you're coughing up and really lethargic and really heavy and you've got fluid retention, I'm going to be treating more kapha. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And they don't understand mm -hmm. that. They're like, I'm not kapha. Like, I'm, I'm so vata. And you're like, yeah, I'm treating though. So it can get yeah. very using for people and I, I understand that and that's why I think again going back to the foundations and the foundations are the elements right so that is where we've got to start and to educate mm -hmm. people 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. I think, you know, I think doshas have a huge stake in Ayurveda, but I don't think they have a huge stake in Ayurveda from the general practice. Like I think the practitioner is thinking about dosha, but the client doesn't really need to think about dosha. The client, like you were saying, needs to think about or the student needs to think about guna. Like, what are these things made of? You know, like vata, pitta, kapha are shorthand for do, for combinations of qualities. And we only want to use the shorthand when we understand, you know, like you don't do calculus if you don't understand basic addition and subtraction, you know, and, and that is what the gunas are. Yeah. And otherwise we just get really lost in labels that are that are great for sales and marketing but like are really not good for health because also, you know, like what I say to my clients too and, and students when we're talking about this topic is that when we're in a state of swasta, when we're in a state of health, you will not perceive a dosha. You will just perceive you. You will just be yourself and no one will really be even able to say the dosha that they're perceiving. They might be able to perceive some gunas. But they're not going to be like, oh, you're so whatever dosha right now, because they're just going to see your unique character shining through like your actual state of health, your actual soul will shine through. And also, you won't be thinking about yourself when we're healthy, like doshas make us like need things and become self-absorbed, you know, because we're unwell. Mm-hmm. And when we're in a state of swasta and the doshas are appropriately balanced for our constitution we will be able to be of service because there will be no need of balance in ourselves, you know? And so that's kind of what I try and explain to clients and students. Like that is the goal to like be, to have no perception of dosha in your experience of life. Mm, exactly. Cause dosha means imbalance. So yeah. I was talking to um, an, an Indian Ayurvedic practitioner who's practiced many, many years in India and has practiced in the West as well. And he was saying that, there's such a difference with the clientele and how Ayurveda is perceived. And, you know, that is understandable. But say if you are the Ayurvedic doctor or Ayurvedic practitioner in India, they your clientele will come to you to be fixed as if like you were the doctor and they're the clients and they just go away and they take their herbs, do what they're told type of thing. And, and that's it. They don't really ask, but what dosha am I, but what this, but in the West, he said, the first thing people come in and say, so what dosha am I? Like they, that's the main thing they want to know and why they're going to have their consultations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just very yeah interesting from, from the, his perspective of working both in the West and the East and the client. Yeah. Yeah, I did it too. The first time I went to study in India, I was still a little bit confused about doshas. And um, this was like in 2014 or 15 or I think it was 2014. Um, and I remember I had this whole consultation and it was like very specific. And I actually had like specific issues, you know, it wasn't like having, I had, I had things like that actually had like allopathic names that I was trying to fix with Ayurveda, you know, so I had a mission and still at the end, I was like, so what's my and I was, I knew it was uncool to ask this question. Like I already knew as a, a new practitioner, I was like a consultant at the time. I was like, I already knew this was really gauche to ask, but I couldn't like help okay. myself with the <laughs> I ask. And I was like, so, yeah. you know, cool. Like, so what dosha am I? Yeah. And he just looked at me like, you yeah. know what you're asking actually. Cause like, cause it's so not how it's practiced. 
yeah. <laughs> and I also think he was like, really, after all that, you're still asking this question? That's all you want to know? I've given you a whole treatment plan and that's all you want to yeah. know? <laughs> yeah. You're here for like two months and this is what you're going to ask me? Yeah. But it so, also, I mean, it's like, it's totally natural, but. Yeah, I think as a new practitioner as well, you want to like learn from an experienced one if you're on the right path with your thinking. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, not the right path. Noted, noted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so are there any other myths with Ayurveda that you'd love to set straight? That is definitely my like big, peeve is the word, but that's like my mission statement as an educator is like, to, like you were saying, like to just, you know, dispel that myth and then move people into a space of finding more information. I think, um, I think another one, and I don't know if this is a huge misunderstanding or this is just like a modern perspective of the, of the way the world works, but Ayurveda is like a way of living. It's not like a diet. It's not a cleanse. It's not, um, a, even a quick fix, even though it can fix things quickly, you know, um, I try really hard never to use words like cleanse and diet because it, it, because it has all of these preconceived, you know, even if it could be functioning like that, because those words are so, um, heavy these days, but I do, I think Ayurveda is like best works best when it's actually a lifestyle choice that's long, that's ongoing and is not something that we're implementing like a keto diet or something like where we're using it temporarily. Yeah, um, Ayurveda is not just about kitchery and lentils. No, and no. almost never about kitchery. <laughs> I know, I know. I've had people um, say, "Oh, you know, I love, I love Ayurveda, but I just can't do um, lentils." I'm like, "That's cool. <laughs> like, you don't have to do lentils." It's a lot of other food. It's cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's that's epic. Good yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Totally. totally. Or like, I've had clients that are like, "I did this kitchery cleanse. Are we going to do that together?" And I'm like, "No." And then I'm like, "This is why." And then you know, like kitchery is really heavy and very hard to digest. And they're like, oh yeah, I actually did have a lot of digestive disturbance when I was doing it the last time. And, you know, so I think, and this is what I think how we got to this topic the last time we were chatting is that like, there's so much oversimplification of Ayurveda that makes it actually dysfunctional and harmful, you know, doshas aside, like, you know, this like dry brushing and then people are dry brushing all the time and at the wrong time and with a vata imbalance and like, you know, it just, or, you know, like this obsession with ghee, but like, if you have no digestive capacity, that ghee is going to totally screw you over, you know? And it's just, and like the association of like lentils are Ayurveda, but it's gunas that are Ayurveda. So like you can go to a French cuisine restaurant and still practice Ayurveda. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and I think this, this conversation actually like leads to this other ex experience, which is one of the things that we always want to find out, you know, like when we're doing intakes is like, where is the person born? Where are they from? Like, because then we know what foods they have sucked me for, like that they're built to consume. And so, you know, like you don't need to eat Indian food to practice Ayurveda. Mm. Like, and maybe there are times where it's actually an inappropriate choice because we need to be giving you foods and food flavors that are more like what you were born with or born from. Mm. Um, and so Ayurveda, this is why I feel like Ayurveda is a way of thinking because it's not about any type of yeah. consumption. It's how are you consuming? Why are you consuming? And, mm. and then what are you consuming? Yeah, it really is. It's, it's a way of, of thinking about things. And it's really, 
like I teach her, Ayurveda really is just about radical self-awareness and that's mm-hmm. what it teaches you. And that is the most important thing because everyone is so individualized that just as you said, like, you know, your diet is going to differ from the next person to the next of what's going to suit you and your individual constitution based on the gunas, which means the qualities. So the qualities of the elements that you have more um, predominantly within you Mm -hmm. in that time and space. So, yeah. And it's really important in this modern age too, because, you know, like thinking about the climate and thinking about energy use, it's like, if the ideal requires shipping across the world and a substance that's similar but is local mm-hmm. but isn't exactly the same is right next to you like what's the choice and really we should be learning how to think locally mm-hmm. and extrapolate from what you know so that we don't you know we don't destroy the Himalayas as we're trying to like mine for shilajit or whatever, you know? Um, because like that isn't Ayurvedic either. I remember um, one of the, at, like the junctions of the text says that says like, you know, like the four main requirements for Ayurveda to happen is like the needs to be practitioner, the assistant, the, the, um, the sick person, and then the the medicines themselves and then the medicines have like four injunctions and one of them is that like they, they're properly harvested properly grown you know like these are all parts so if we're practicing ayurveda like really classically but the way that we're getting the substances is not sustainable is not um supportive then we're actually not practicing ayurveda even if we're using herbs that are ayurvedic quote unquote yeah absolutely because it all has a potency and like every subtle impression is left on the mind and the body. So that, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the only other thing that comes to mind um, is like, and this is just, a, this is like a social media universe thing, but you know, like ashwagandha is, is for this, like shatavari is for this, you know, like this misuse of herbs, mm-hmm. um, you know, like throwing shatavari into a smoothie or like, why, why would you do that? You know, um, and so because we're like, because we're thinking of er- Ayurvedic herbs in this like more Western way, like this is for this mm-hmm. and this is for this, as opposed to these are the gunas of this substance. Therefore, this is what it could do under these circumstances. And when it's mixed with certain things, because most classical Ayurveda is not giving single herbs on their own. No. Yeah. It's almost never done. And so even in food, you know, it's never like, okay, just put cumin in your food. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Or just follow the, the Vata dosha yeah. uh, diet, even though we want to actually incorporate all six tastes and then they get confused. Yeah. Like, totally. Oh, I can't have this. And I can't, yes, it's just all about moderation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So again, it just comes back to like learning the foundation, learning how to see the foundation and then applying it to like literally every circumstance, every conversation, every meal, every herb, every, you know, social activity, every soap you decide to use absolutely and I I guess just from this conversation really when you break it down like we've been talking about like how Ayurveda really is about how to think and how to create that self-awareness and I think that's why like even in my Ayurveda Alchemist program that certifies holistic Ayurveda health coaches is I always start with Ayurvedic philosophy and psychology because it really Mm -hmm. is about how to perceive things and how to think and how to 
to create that radical self-awareness because even if you are told that you're the same dosha as someone else, it's going to present so differently in you and what you need to mm -hmm. do to balance it as well. Mm -hmm. And coming back like to, you know, we started the episode speaking about the Vedas leaving those um, last pages blank. What would you insert into those pages from your modern perspective? Like if you were to rewrite the, well, not rewrite the Vedas, but if you're as an Ayurvedic practitioner um, asked to fill in those blank pages, what do you think you would put in there from like an, a modern Ayurvedic perspective? Oh, wow. I don't know if I'm eloquent enough. Lisa, you're asking me <laughs> to say it in Sanskrit. <laughs> I think I would say, okay, now that you have finished reading this text, go back and read it again. I, like I think that's what I would say. And then just continue to come back to that sentence what, every time we finish. Exactly. Because what is repeated is remembered. Mm -hmm. And that's what like I have read a million times over the same type of thing in all different books. And a new, a new aspect of that always comes forth, you know. And mm -hmm. then you apply mm -hmm. it again in your life and apply it in a different way. And I guess Ayurveda really isn't about perfecting anything. It is about the study of, of, of life, the science of life, and applying it. It's a practice, just like yoga. Mm -hmm. right? It's a practice mm -hmm. to give you the best life, the most quality out of your life. So, yeah, I really like that. That's a good what one. What would you say? What would I say? Oh my god! Now you're putting me on. I flipped it. Is that fair? <laughs> I really, I really like. I really like what you said, but I think, yeah, I would. It starts in the mind, like any habit transformation, anything new, anything change. It it all starts in the mind. So, I think, like you said, like read it all again. But, but I guess I would end with some sort of like Ayurvedic psychology of like lifting from that that sattvic mind I guess mm -hmm. really mm -hmm. because you know we can do we can make changes um to our diet we can do change the lifestyle and all of that but if we don't have the mind and the openness to learn and to witness and to really witness how we react and how we respond then we're we're likely just to to repeat the habits that we already had mm -hmm. yeah so I don't think I really yeah. articulated that well but I would always no I yeah to the mind yeah and to change that yeah, yeah. well thank you so much um, oh thank you yeah, always such a amazing. pleasure yeah, I love having chats with you it's been fantastic and really breaking down Ayurveda and Maybe next time we have to break down the foundations of Ayurveda because we've gone on well, a Let's do of, it. Yeah. Once you've had your baby, <laughs> we can do Yeah, that. I know. <laughs> so really is there, in the foundation. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely love that. Um, is there any takeaway or quote that you would like to leave us with today? I don't have a quote prepared. No. I can't a, give you a quote. Not a quote. But I think. Any takeaway. Okay. A takeaway. Yeah. Um, I think the takeaway would be that make that it's important to make sure that we're never bored by the foundation, that we're never bored by the beginning. Um, 
And that if we do feel bored by those things, it's a sign that we definitely need to go back there. Mm -hmm. And understand. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. And where can our listeners find you? So you can find me on social media. Instagram is at yoga and TikTok. More active once this baby's here. Um, TikTok is at yogavahi ayurveda. And then my website is yogavahi.com. Amazing. I'll put them in the show notes as well. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was, yeah. Yeah. Such a pleasure. And um, I look forward to speaking to you next time. Me too. If you missed the intro and jumped straight to the episode, don't forget that my Ayurveda Alchemist program is open for enrollment via application. This program certifies you as an Ayurveda lifestyle and wellness coach and will help you up-level your health and wellness business. You'll gain access to the ancient wisdom of Ayurveda and graduate with a knowledge of how to incorporate this timeless wisdom and holistic framework into your business so that you can create greater impact and boldly step into the high-level practitioner you know you can be. If you are ready to up-level your life and help transform the life of others by becoming an Ayurveda alchemist, head over to harmonyinspiredhealth.com.au and apply today. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and staying right to the end. Let's take our relationship a little further and connect in the world of socials. Follow me personally on Instagram at harmony.inspired.ayurveda. My women's health clinic on Instagram is harmony underscore inspired underscore health or join our Facebook community, the Ayurvedic Soul Sister Tribe. Reach out on any of those channels and let me know if you enjoyed the episode, what type of episodes you would like to hear more of in the future, or simply just swing by and say hi. And don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. And if you listen on iTunes, please give us a five-star rating so the wisdom shared in these episodes can be spread far and near. Thank you so much, my friends, from my soul to yours.